Good morning, uh, everyone. It's a delight to be here. I'm uh, excited again to uh, be here to share the word and, and uh, worship together. Although there is a an extra set of uh, nervousness dealing with the um, uniqueness, unique challenges, shall we say, of uh, preparing a, a live streamed only uh, service uh, since we're not together uh, physically. Uh, okay, let's turn to our text, uh, Romans chapter 5. Brother Thomas uh, announced that already. Romans chapter 5, and we'll read the first uh, five verses. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and now the meditation of it. If there's one thing, there's many things that are common to the human experience, but one thing for certain is that life is hard. No one is exempt from some level of of difficulty, some level of unwanted circumstance, uh, pain and trouble, uh, sorrow, um, stress, uh, affliction, tribulations, uh, persecutions for those that are believers. What, of course, is different is at times the duration of it may be short, and other times it may be very long. Some may be enduring some severe hardships for a lifetime. And then the, the, the severity of it. Sometimes it may be a light inconvenience, such as maybe the temperature in the room may be uncomfortable um, for a short period of time, but a very mild form of, of difficulty, shall we say. Um, or it could be really grievous life circumstances, a very debilitating illness or tragic losses and, and so forth, common to every human experience. The scripture here uses a word tribulation a, a few times here in our response to it, and we'll uh, examine that and what are the different types of tribulations that we experience, and the biblical response then to each one. Uh, The word tribulation uh, refers to pressure. In a sense, literally or figuratively, this word in the Greek, I'm told by the dictionary, that it's a pressure. So it could be stress, um, external pressure, maybe internal pressure, some sort of affliction, anguish, burden, um, persecution, tribulation, trouble, various words that describe this aspect of pressure, of tribulation. Uh, the word afflicted is, uh, the Bible also uses this word in, in other passages, affliction. Uh, that could be often or repeated pain, uh, either in the body or in the mind, some sort of suffering, grief, or distress, uh, and so forth. Now, there are purposes, of course, uh, for this, and if we just give a quick overview of of what the Lord has inspired me to share this morning, in a sense, we have a bit of an outline of the categories of the types of affliction or difficulties or hard things or tribulations uh, that we experience. 
Um, and then, of course, the purpose of it and the response that the Bible encourages the Christian to have and the outcome uh, of that. So as I was pondering on this um, and uh, heard someone else share a devotion a number of weeks ago that touched on this subject that really inspired me to, to preach on this uh, in the first place, uh, there are four categories that came to mind uh, as I uh, pondered on this subject of the types of tribulation or affliction or difficulties that we share uh, in life. And we'll look at each of those uh, categories. Uh, the first one is just the fact that we are human. We'll call it the human condition. You know, Brother Ben spoke uh, last Sunday about um, brokenness. You know, we are in a broken world, and lots of things are broken. And one of those things is the fact that we have hardship and pain and suffering as a result of the fall. And in a sense, it's it's n- the normal ever since that fall for sickness to happen or pain. Uh, sometimes we're, we're innocently clumsy, and we bump into something or stub our toe, and, and it causes pain and affliction uh, and so forth. Uh, sometimes it also may be a result of innocent poor choices that we make giving us hardship. At the time, we may have thought they were good and wise choices, uh, but it turns out maybe later on that that, that wasn't uh, a good choice and actually led to some some form of suffering. And the purpose of that, or, or what that purpose can serve, is to tell us or to remind us that, that we are inadequate, that we are in fact human, that we are in fact fallen, and that we need to look to someone who is greater. And of course, that someone is Jesus and God our Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit that works in the life of the believer. And so these inadequacies and uh, measure of pain because of the human condition is a constant daily reminder of our weakness and our frailty and our need to rely on God's sufficiency for us. Of course, in the area of choices, it's also a reminder to ask for wisdom. Brother Warner preached on that uh, not that long ago in the passage from James about if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And these are reminders that he is the all-wise one. And only sometimes we are somewhat wise, shall we say. And the more we are connected to him, of course, the more wise we really are. The human condition, one of the reasons for the type of suffering that we have. Generally, not necessarily a moral component to this, or it could be. um, But that's just the fact that we are human. The second category... Um, does get into the moral component, and it maybe builds off on poor choices, but not innocent poor choices, but in the sense that we are sinning against God, that we are living a life of rebellion against God, rejecting His authority. And that brings with it its set, a set of consequences. Sin has consequences. And this would apply, of course, to the non-Christian who is living in rebellion against God, saying, I want to do my own thing. I don't want someone telling me what to do. I don't want someone telling me what's right and wrong. I don't need some ancient book telling me that. And you may want to do your own thing. But recognize that if you aren't already, or maybe you are and you don't really make the connection between the dots of the hardship or the suffering or the pain or the consequences that you're experiencing is directly linked to sinful choices. And there's many uh, examples of that uh, in the scripture. 
of course, where you we see story after story in the scripture of the consequences of someone's sinful actions. Besides that, there's the emotion, there's, you know, there's the physical consequences. Sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's loss. We may break things. Uh, if someone is, is uh, in a drunken stupor, they may make poor choices or harm themselves uh, and so forth. Um, in addition to that, there's guilt or shame associated, especially the emotional suffering if you know that you are doing something that is wrong. Guilt is something that God has put in our conscience when you do something morally wrong. And you can choose to act on that guilt in a way that leads you to repentance and doing right, or you can try to suppress that guilt and try to redefine sin and try to find creative ways of avoiding the consequences. And there's many examples in our society of uh, people in all forms of, uh, of lifestyles, shall we say, or professions and, and so forth, trying to carefully orchestrate uh, shall we say, safeties and protections so that people can continue intentionally in a deliberate sinful lifestyle and try to mitigate the consequences or reduce the risk of the consequences. Not realizing that God set things up that way, that the consequences are a reminder, an expression of his desire to draw you into repentance and relationship with him. Sometimes it results in health effects, certainly relationship effects and breakdowns, and it affects the next generation. And so choosing to live in a sinful lifestyle now has an impact not only on your future, but on those whose lives you touch, especially if you are a parent raising little ones. How sad uh, that is. And so God's laws are there for a reason. Um, heard a story, a short story of a father and a son as they're discussing God's laws and the father's training, teaching the son, discipling him about what God's laws are. And the son asks a question, well, God, uh, father, what, what happens if I break one of God's laws? And the father said, son, you can't break God's laws. They can break you. Only they can break you. A little play on the word break in that sense that, of course, we use the term to break a commandment if we choose not to keep the commandment. And there's history of the children of Israel and so forth of doing that many, many times. And God reaching out to them in his covenant love, trying to restore them. But they suffered many awful consequences. In a sense, were broken by them because of their persistent sin against God. Another phrase that uh, came to mind as I was thinking about this is the experience of the Apostle uh, of uh, Saul prior to becoming the Apostle Paul. As he is persisting in a lifestyle of a particular type of sin, even though he considered himself righteous and was persecuting the followers of Jesus, as he thought that that was the righteous thing to do, as he had his uh, definitions of right and wrong mixed up. And as the, the, he's walking on the way to Damascus and the, the light from heaven shines on him and forces him to the ground, there's a fascinating statement uh, that we read in the scripture as, he's, as Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Interesting figurative language here. And uh, for the longest time that I can remember, when I hear that phrase, there's a particular image that comes to mind. It might seem a little humorous, but it's basically like the uh, Saul 
kicking against a cactus in his bare feet and saying, ow, that hurts. And it sounds like ridiculous, but in a sense that described his lifestyle as in he was kicking against something that he could not prevail and it was painful. And you may laugh at that illustration, but there's probably some of you online listening right now that that describes you right now. That you're experiencing some sort of pain or hardship or consequence of your sin and you remain yet hardened in your heart consistently wanting to kick against that because in some form that activity maybe gives you pleasure or you feel a sense of freedom or a sense of superiority or whatever it does for you know that god has something so much better for you stay with me as we proceed into that and that it is the goodness of god that leads you to repentance the apostle paul said that in romans uh, chapter 2 verse 4 um, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Sometimes the consequences of sin gives people even further hardness against God. We read about that in, in the book of Revelations when there's certain plagues that come upon people because of their sin. They refuse to repent and are still hardened and angry at God and bitter against Him, saying, well, if God is like that, then I don't want to serve Him for sure. Well, that's the wrong viewpoint of reality. He is the reality. We need to adjust our view to fit with His reality. And therefore, don't harden your heart. Harden not your heart, but today while you hear his voice, harden not your heart, but turn to him in repentance. And this is the beauty of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul refers to that in the first verse. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is an element, an expression of the gospel for those that are not at peace with God, those that are living in sin against him. You can be justified. You don't have to try to come up with clever arguments to justify yourself or to cover your tracks or to hide your sin or make things look better than what they really are. That kind of justification doesn't work. It, it, God sees through that, and a lot of times people see through that too. Forget about that. Fall at his feet and be justified by faith. Believe in him and his ability to save you and transform you and make you into a new person. So that his justification is what makes you, declares you, makes you righteous. Therefore, being justified by faith, you can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Abraham's faith, the the Apostle Paul is referring to the previous chapter, uh, meticulously going through what was it actually that made Abraham righteous. And he argues very carefully that it was his faith that God counted to him then as righteousness before he then uh, obeyed. Of course, obedience then followed naturally. That is the result of being made righteous, being transformed into a new person. And that can be true for you. If you turn to him in repentance, regardless of your age, commit your life to him. But this also applies not only to the non-Christian who is in rebellion against God or maybe indifferent against God, 
But maybe there is someone here online that is a believer and has strayed from God and have ventured into some sin or become entangled in a sin. Uh, Maybe uh, unintentionally, you didn't intend to that. That's the nature of sin. will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you far more than you can afford to pay. That's the nature of sin. Well, then the message of repentance is for you also to turn to him and acknowledge that and recognize that and that whatever hardship or pain you may be feeling or suffering as a result of that, is, in, is, is God reaching out to you, calling to you in attention? A particular quote, I might not be able to say it right. You know, God whispers to us in our pleasures and shouts to us in our pain. Pain has a way of getting our attention like nothing else. Another point to this, of course, is when you see someone else suffering, be careful that we don't accuse them that their suffering is because of their sin. We could heap insult upon injury we don't know Uh, and this was the experience of job for example his three friends often tried to find and accuse him of sin the reason you're suffering must be because you've done something wrong you've sinned somewhere just confess it job and and uh, get on with it well it does turn out that job did have some things to learn from this uh, and so forth but that wasn't the reason for his suffering the reason for his suffering was a completely different category which we're going to talk about later And that might be the case here, uh, too. There may be some that are suffering uh, for other categories, of course. Um, Don't be tempted to look at their life and try to accuse them and uh, in, in the attempt of maybe trying to help them fix their suffering by pointing out some sin in their life. Be very cautious about that and rather be gracious and pray for them. Um, perhaps there may be an element of sin that, that may be contributing to that, and perhaps there is a place for someone to point that out, but very graciously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about two categories, right? One was the human condition, and secondly, sin against God. Let's move on to the third category, and that of being a victim of someone else's sin or poor choices. In a particular matter, you may be entirely innocent, yet are suffering at the hand of someone else, a perpetrator that is causing that suffering, either their poor choices or intentional harm. And unfortunately, in our sinful world, there's lots of this going on, and there are many victims. And the cycle continues, because likely those that are perpetrator have been victims or are victims of something themselves. And this awful cycle continues and is passed on from one generation to another. Jesus is the answer and can stop that destructive cycle. There are many examples in the scripture or stories of those that have suffered uh, innocently at the hands of others. Probably the most famous story is probably the story of Joseph, being betrayed by his brothers and then later on sold into, sold into slavery and then later on imprisoned unjustly as is he was a victim of injustice. Uh, David, the king, before he was king, was a victim of Saul, the king's injustice and his jealousy as he pursued him. But then, of course, there were various decisions and actions that David did later on in his life that made other people victims of his sin. Um, and so in that sense, that cycle somewhat continued. Um, but nevertheless, David had a close walk with God and repented from his sin and was a man after God's own heart. 
Of course, the, the sad story of Tamar being raped by her half-brother. Uh, just a tremendous uh, um, gut-wrenching story. And those kinds of things are happening every day. There are victims of awful sins. There's those that are subject to assault or, or bullying um, children. Uh, bullying one another in the most cruel manner. Terrible situation. And so, of course, if you are someone that this message right now is speaking to, that you are the perpetrator causing suffering in someone else's life, stop! Seek healing for yourself so that you don't sin against God and someone else by doing that. But, of course, uh, for those that are victims that are hearing this, in pain, suffering injustice, suffering injustice, Jesus understands. Some words of comfort that I hope will be comforting for you as the nature of Jesus would understand you the best. Maybe you feel no one else on earth can understand what you're feeling. And to a certain degree, that could be true. But certainly there are others that God has placed and will place in your life that will help facilitate the healing. But Jesus, as we read in First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus understands. And he suffered for you for that sin. And he can um, have a, a special measure of compassion for you in your situation. Seek help, of course, from a trusted authority. Sometimes there may be help involved in that, especially if there's bullying uh, and so forth. And, and uh, God has placed authority figures in your life that are intended to be safe places that you can look for help. And I encourage you to do that if that is your situation. Pour out your heart to God. The Psalms have numerous expressions of that as, as the Psalmist David and other writers are in a sense, pouring out their complaint and complaining to God of the injustice that they're experiencing in life and turning to God, recognizing he is the one that can fix every injustice in his time, if not in this life, certainly in the life to come. But as hard as it is, the Bible also calls victims to forgive their oppressors. Now, for some, this may be the hardest thing to hear in the message today, and you may be resisting that message, but hear me out for a moment, at least. Because part of the, the, the key ingredient, one key ingredient in your healing, perhaps one of the most important ones, is the forgiveness in your heart towards the oppressor. The oppressor. Harboring bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping for the other person to die. doesn't work that way, obviously, right? It's a poison that you heap upon yourself. In addition to the injury that you have already received, offer forgiveness by the grace of Jesus Christ and trust in God's justice. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul speaks to that. Uh, Romans 12, verse 17, Recompense to no man evil for evil. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto God's wrath, God implied here, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As hard as it is to do that, 
give that over to God. We're going to be hearing a song later on that speaks to a number of these themes that I'm going to point out to you now that hopefully you can remember when you hear uh, the song. One phrase that would apply to you, come brokenhearted, all you who wander. Behold the love of the unfailing Father who reaches out to you and wants to rescue you. Whether you are the victim or the oppressor, or whether you are entangled in sin, come to him. Shadows try to steal who you are. Years of pain fall from your face as you run like a child to his embrace. Lay down your burdens, lay down your pride, rest in the peace his love provides. Search no farther than the unfailing Father. So we've talked about three categories so far. The human condition, sin against God, a victim. And the fourth one is that of persecution because you are a believer. And it's my understanding that this is likely the type of suffering that the Apostle Paul is primarily referring to in this kind of thing, although he uses the word tribulations rather than persecutions. So there's a difference, there's some overlap there, but persecution is, of course, intentional suffering because you have a particular faith belief, and that is targeted, uh, such as Christian persecution is, uh, the persecution against the Christians is targeted by many uh, places and in many people around the world. And I've heard one statistic, uh, maybe Thomas can correct me if I'm wrong, but is it true that uh, uh, there is more persecution happening today around the world against the Christians than there ever has been in history. Yes, he's nodding yes. That, that's hard for us to believe because we're not directly touched by that. And we're somewhat isolated from that. And we can be connected, of course, from news stories and magazines and so forth, articles uh, of that. Um, but uh, their persecution against Christianity is very much alive in many places uh, in the world. Uh, Jesus predicted that. That would happen as the enemy wants to destroy the followers of Jesus. If we, a few references that speak to that. As the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, thou, uh, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read verses 10 to 12. But thou, speaking to Timothy, has fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. And here's two key words. Persecutions, afflictions. Notice he has both, because they are different. One is persecution, like we talked about, the intentional suffering. And then we'll talk about affliction, the unique afflictions that Christians have that are different than the rest of the world. The Apostle Paul describes both of them for himself, uh, which came to me. And he describes certain places, uh, but I endured, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. But then this is something for all of us. Verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In a sense, that's a promise. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened already to certain degrees, it does, of course. Uh, not as overtly as in some places, or as violently, of course, as in some places uh, in the world. Other references, the, the early disciples um, had that. If we go to Acts chapter 14, there's a passage there, one of the Apostle Paul's um, experiences. 
Uh, Acts 14, we'll start with verse 19. So he's on one of his missionary journeys. And there came certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, that's throwing heavy boulders or sizable rocks at him, uh, hitting him, knocking him to the ground, hopefully intending to, ki- intending to kill him. And they dragged him, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So this was a very traumatic experience for the Apostle Paul. And he was taken there for dead. Howbeit, as the disciples round about him, stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, a miraculous rising from that kind of experience, rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, basically going back where they had come from, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And this is the key verse here now. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. This was no surprise to them. Jesus predicted it numerous times in his talks with the disciples. And that through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Through much hardship, through much difficulty, is part of entering into the kingdom of God. In a sense, they were already in the kingdom of God as being adopted as children of God and servants and apostles and sent out. But in a sense, they were still entering into the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God is expanding and then the, the future hope of the kingdom of God. Through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And then finally, First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. Oops, sorry, I should, that was verse 4, I could start at verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Interesting statement to say, that they were appointed unto afflictions. In a sense, it was ordained for them to endure such afflictions. And there's great reason for that. The fact that they suffered so much gives credibility to the Christian claim uh, of truth. Because no one's going to knowingly die or suffer for a lie if they can just say something different and avoid the suffering. They really believed what they knew to be true because they were eyewitnesses of it. Just the same way that we are ordained that we should walk in good works, Ephesians 2.9. It looks like here there's similar language, not exactly the same word here, but that we are appointed to suffering, tribulation, difficulty. So these four categories, of course, it's not always um, easy to discern exactly the reason why we are suffering a particular thing. It may be a combination of reasons. And sometimes the persecution that we may feel um, or the pain that we may feel has to do with some form of oppression by the enemy that we can't really put a finger on it, that it's a human cause, such as the experience of Job. It looked like just a terrible disease and calamity and a combination of tremendous losses, not caused by any human or regime or anything of that sort, but that the enemy was behind it. And the reason he was suffering that was because he trusted in God. And from reading the book of Job, we don't really have the sense that he knew that 
backstory or behind the scenes of what actually was happening. And so that might be the case happening with you, suffering various health crises and loss and, and stress and so forth. And the reason you're suffering those things is a form of persecution. It's not coming by any identifiable person or source, but it's oppression from the enemy who wants to use that to destroy you. But there's another point of tribulation uh, that we need to move on with because of the Christian, and it has to do with the type of service that we've been called to. You know, the Apostle Paul, um, in one sense, theoretically could have chosen an easier lifestyle. But he was appointed to preach the gospel and appointed to these sufferings that was revealed to him right up front during his conversion time at his calling. But there may be other choices that he could have made to reduce that suffering by reducing his level of service and dedication in the kingdom of God. And is that possible? Maybe there are some listening today that you're choosing the path that is most comfortable as a Christian, but while still wanting to retain a Christian a lifestyle, a Christian heritage, a Christian name. Um, you're going to avoid sin. You're going to be dedicated coming to church, and um, you're going to be a good employee or a good employer, and so forth. And you're going to give a, a certain, you know, modest donation to charity, and 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 so forth. You know, all kinds of good things. But maybe there's more that God is calling you to, but you've already resisted those things because you're afraid of the afflictions that come with that calling. Think about it. Is that worth it? We have our equation wrong, if that's part of our equation. Don't resist the call out of the fear of hardship, right? And it could could be as something as simple as sharing to a gospel to someone who you think is going to be hostile to receiving you, so you decide, "Mm, I'm going to back off, I'm I'm not going to disturb that person. But yet the Holy Spirit has been weighing on you to share the gospel with that person, and you resist it. Uh, Not not for me, nope, nope, I'm not going to do that. As a Christian, we're called to obedience. That's a type of obedience. Or it may be ministering to the homeless, or to the orphan, or the mentally ill, or called to foster some uh, a child that has been a victim, or, or adopt them as a, that has been a victim, um, or engage in some mission work, and so forth. But it's easy for us to try and structure our lives in insulated and isolated ways that we only have controlled contact. You know, we'll donate a little bit of money to that cause. Okay, that's my bit for that service. I'm not going to try to get my hands dirty or or get my heart entangled in something that's difficult or endure extra stress because of it's something that's not my problem. That's not being like Jesus. He has called us to enter into a life of difficulty, to do hard things because of the gospel. Because we have been called to that. Let's move on now into all of, in regards to all of these categories, that the enemy, that God has a strategy for us to not only survive these things, but to thrive in these things. Let's move on here in our verse, uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 2 here. So, we've been justified by faith, peace with God. Uh, we, this gives us, uh, we have by faith, access into this grace wherein we stand. So this grace is not only grace for salvation, but grace to continue living a a meaningful, godly life. Stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. As there's tremendous hope in the life of the believer for the glory of God. And then he moves on to this sequence here. We glory in tribulations. So this word glory, 
a word that maybe would resonate with us a little better in understanding this meaning is to rejoice in tribulations. The Apostle Paul sometimes uses the word boast in tribulations or in hardships. And that's, that's hard to do, to rejoice in suffering. Really? That seems like such an opposite response. How is it that we can do that? Well, the reason we can do that is because Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 16, 33. He says, in ye you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And the special number that we'll hear speaks to that as well. Listen for that phrase. Look at what it produces, the outcome of intentional rejoicing in the midst of hardship and suffering. And of course, right now we're in a season of a certain type of unique suffering, uh, where the country is suffering under a lockdown. Some are suffering because of a disease. Others are suffering because of the fear of catching um, the virus and the disease. Uh, and others are suffering because of the fallout uh, of the lockdown. Either way, everyone is suffering something. But we see here that the Christian is called and equipped to rejoice in tribulation, in difficulty, in suffering. Not necessarily to rejoice for the suffering itself, um, although that may be a part of it. It seems a little odd. How can, how can we do that? But more so, in a sense, rejoicing for what it produces. And in a sense that it is a weapon, an intentional weapon against what Satan wants to use to destroy us. By rejoicing in that, we are overcoming the tactics of the enemy that are weighing in on us. Because he wants us to be angry, he wants us to be bitter, he wants us to be despondent and depressed and demotivated um, and uh, and so forth. And, and turn negative against others and blame others and various things like that. All sorts of a negative spiral here that the enemy would want to use hardship. Or just use hardship to stop kingdom work. He tried to do that with the Apostle Paul. And there were some of his companions, like John Mark, when he was young. He quit the first missionary journey. It seemed it was too hard <coughs> for him. He quit. I'm going home. Can't handle this. Thankfully, he grew from that experience and uh, became a return, shall we say, to faithful discipleship or calling. And uh, eventually wrote the Gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel to be written. Uh, but nevertheless, there are quitters sometimes. But if you feel that way, resist the enemy and overcome him with intentional rejoicing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of what it produces, as there's a, this definite, I see this, this is a, a definite outworking of what happens when we rejoice in tribulation. It works patience, it works experience, it works hope, and hope makes us not ashamed because of the power of the love of God. Think about these virtues, and we don't have time this morning to explore uh, each one of them, but uh, you can make that a point of conversation today in these virtues and how does that work its way out uh, in your life uh, by being obedient to this word and submitting ourselves uh, to his power. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared which the, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's suffering. But it pales in comparison to the future glory that we will experience. Tremendous promise there. And sometimes, for those that may be 
uh, tempted to give up faith, shall we say. Um, you know, life without God it still has suffering, but it lacks the meaning that only the Christian viewpoint, because it's the reality, because it's Jesus, brings to our story in life and of suffering. More than the absence of pain, we need the assurance of his presence in it. We can endure a lot if we know there is someone with us, Jesus, and there is purpose in it. You know, sometimes we think we want explanations, we want answers, we want to figure out sources and reasons and solutions and why, and that's natural, we, we, and sometimes that is helpful. But in a sense, there's a lot of things we're not going to know. If God could be fully figured out, he would be too small. The glory of God and our safety is the fact that he is beyond our figuring out. These are quotes that I had heard earlier this week by someone sharing a testimony of the intense suffering that that person has endured in their life. There's a poem that I would like to read and then we'll move on uh, to the special number. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors. He knows what they should be. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Then I shall know the reason why pain with joy entwined was woven in the fabric of life that God designed. This God is the unfailing Father. Cling to him. If you remember no other phrase from this message this morning, remember the phrase, the unfailing Father that can minister to you in every situation that you have.